It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Mance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm here, as always, your host, Austin Peterson, and joined by the best co-host in the biz, Landon Mance, who is in studio today. We're excited to have him here. It's been a while with raising those twins, and so we're excited to have him here in the studio today. If this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast, we want to just uh, quickly explain what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz. So we are a podcast by small business for small business. And what I mean by that is we take an opportunity each week to highlight and spend time with uh, a small business owner, either locally or somewhere throughout the country, and allow them to tell their story. We're big believers that the small business owner is truly the backbone of the American economy. And so we put together this podcast to highlight them and give them a platform to tell their story. So with that, we will jump in and we are excited, obviously, today to have two true tycoons in the studio with us. We've got Kay Bodude and Myrie Hayes with Best Care Behavioral Homes. And they actually are sisters, and I've learned in their uh, in their uh, bio that they are numbers 13 and 14 uh, in a line of 14 children. So we definitely want to hear more about that, what it was like growing up. But before we jump into the business side of things, you guys can decide who goes first. But tell us a little bit about you guys personally, how you grew up, wh- how you got into business, whatever you'd like us to, to hear about you personally. Okay. So she pointed at Mari pointed at me, so I guess I'll go first. (laughs) I'm the oldest. I'm number 13. We basically grew up, our father, uh, we grew up in a PK, preacher kids. So our father was a pastor. It's 14 of us. I'm a registered nurse by profession. So how I got into business was kind of by that way. I, I have about 30 years of being a registered nurse under my belt. We have done several businesses. But this one right here, we're very passionate about. We we did a uniform store. We also did home health, assisted living. But the behavior home, we have a a passion about that. I'm going to let Mari, so when she tell her part, she could tell the passion behind that. Um, but our family's really close. And, and I don't know if people know, but when you grew up in a large family, you're still treated like the little sister. <laughs> <laughs> so we're still treated like the little sister. And we we located, my family located here uh, six years ago to Arizona. A year after Mari, we, we decided we were going to move because we got tired of being little sister. <laughs> and <laughs> about after a year of being here, I felt like I had grew up. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was about 44 then. <laughs> So that kind of tell you, but, um, you know, we, uh, like I said, my background is in nursing and that's where my business, um, I think I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, because my father kind of pushed me in that realm, researching and things of that nature for the church. And so it just, of course, landed over into nursing. I um, started as a volunteer 
in a hospital where my mom um, worked at. My mom was a housekeeper. They call it environmental services. And so uh, I volunteered. That was a way to keep an eye on a young teenage girl. <laughs> so right. I volunteered and stayed at the, ho- um, the hospital until she completed work at 11. So I did my homework and everything at the hospital. And she just knew, I guess she was prepping me to be a nurse. And so I just followed in, in, that, in that aspect. Yeah, that's cool. And Kansas City, right? Is Kansas where you guys City grew up? is where Kansas we're from. Right. We call it misery, but Kansas City is right. <laughs> <laughs> well, about this time of year, I've been in Kansas City about this time of year, and I would definitely say it's misery with how humid wow. it gets there. Humid. It's humid, yes. Yeah. All right, Myrie, the uh, stage is yours, and then I've got some comments on uh, what Kay had to say. <laughs> All right. Uh, hello, hello, hello. I have that's my greeting on Instagram, so I had to do that. <laughs> uh, I am Myrie Hayes. I'm number fourteen of fourteen kids. Now we were preachers' kids, and I like to let people know we were poor. <laughs> we were poor, and we we used to use our imagination to come up with things to do. So we would sell candy, we would sell pencils, we would sell. So we always, in a sense, and then my dad having the church, we would sell soda, hot dogs, things like that. So I guess he instilled in us always find a way to make some type of income, you know, because they were sharecroppers. And so... We we never had enough of anything <laughs> except for people in our house. <laughs> in love. Yeah, in love, in love. We had a lot of love. And, uh, and so, like Kay said, my thing was I really never thought I was an entrepreneur. I liked to work for people because I wanted my check. And I was very competitive in every job I had. I was always competing in different competitions, competing with my peers, trying to make the biggest bonus, things like that. So I never really thought of myself as an entrepreneur. And so Kay kind of brought that out in me. And uh, as far as us coming from Kansas City to Arizona, I visited here in Phoenix area uh, in May and for a week. And I went back to Kansas City And I told my husband, we are moving to Arizona. (laughs) And he said, yeah, right. And I found a realtor here. I found a house. I did everything online. She was taking videos for me. And then I went to him and I said, we need to be in Arizona at the beginning of August. This was right after May. And he goes, for what? I said, to sign the papers on this house. And he was like, are you serious? I said, yeah, we're moving. (laughs) And we packed up one truck and we moved, you know, and, and Kay came a year after. So like, like she said, being the youngest of that many, it's like nothing against my family because I love them, but it was like having a thumb on your head all of your life, you know? So, but it helped us. Mm -hmm. You know, when we came out here, because of that thumb that was on our head, we came out here and we flourished. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I would say that you guys have definitely blossomed and and flourished out here just with what what we know so far about your business and and about you guys personally. 
but uh, the comment is actually about being the youngest. So I'm I'm the oldest child of four and really six. I've got an older half-sister from a previous marriage with my dad's or my stepdad's. I grew up and was always treated a certain way because I was the oldest child. Well, I married a youngest child <laughs> of seven, right? And there was a very large span in, in number of years between the oldest and the youngest because my mother-in-law had a couple of miscarriages and a stillborn after the first child was born. And so the next child was actually one that they adopted. And then after that, they had them in succession pretty closely together. But there's eight years between the first and the second adopted child. Wow. And then it you know goes from there. But you know, just to give you an idea, my wife was two years old when her oldest sibling got married. And so <laughs> yeah. when, when we first got you know, married and I was starting to spend time with her family, it was so strange to me to be treated the way that we were treated <laughs> because they, you know, they assume, you know, you don't know how to get insurance on your own car and you don't know how yes. to buy a house. Yes. And, you know, you don't know how to do any of these kind of things because yeah. you're just, you know, you're the baby, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And it's just barely started to kind of be treated the same, right? My wife's 47. So it's not like we're still super young, but uh, it, it's crazy how that works in the family dynamic. It yeah. is. So true. It is. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit about best care behavioral homes. I mean, let's, let's start by just telling us a little bit about what it is specifically that you do. I mean, I think people have an idea, but I think people have a hard time distinguishing between assisted living, nursing home, behavioral health or behavioral homes, you know, hospice, all those sorts of things. So just kind of give us a, you know, 100 degree or 100 foot view of what it is. Okay. So Best Care Behavioral Home, what we do is we provide residential care for SMI clients. And what SMI is, is severely mentally ill. And in the state of Arizona, you have to be classified as that. Uh, an SMI client will most likely have diagnosis of bipolar, schizophrenia, uh, very um, deep depression, those type of um, diagnosis. And so in providing residential care, we have several homes. It's just like a regular normal um, house that a person would live in. And uh, it can have anywhere from five to, to eight. I, now, we they can't go up to 10, but we, we have a house to have eight, and we think that was a good number to stop at, <laughs> okay. um, you know, with all the different personalities. Sure. Right. And so— um, and so they they just they live in the home. Uh, they're provided uh, meals. They some of them cook because they have to learn those skills because it's not like uh, the state of Arizona wants them to stay there forever. So our average uh, uh, client stay is six months. Uh, there are some clients that we have had since we opened, and that's been almost what three and a half four years ago. But um, they're they're not, I would say, the norm. They usually want people to learn community skills, learn how to cook, learn um, how to function on a daily basis, like you know most every most other people in in life, and then move on their own. And and so that's what we provide. We provide that skill. We do activities with them to teach them how to budget, how to shop for groceries, how to look for rental, you know, how to look for their apartment, things of that nature. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's a great service. I mean, I you say eight being the limit. I I think so. I've got a daughter that's going off to college this year, and we went and visited the campus, and we also visited where she's going to live. She's going to live with eight girls, and none of them are mentally ill, right? <laughs> Severely mentally ill. And I'm thinking eight eight girls in you know in this apartment. Now, obviously, your houses are a little bigger, but still eight people in one spot that have no family relation to one right. another, yeah. and add on top of that severe mental illness. I think you're, I think you're onto something. I think eight might be <laughs> definitely the limit. We felt like that was the limit. Yes. <laughs> and so though, some of those, uh, uh, important skills that you just kind of mentioned. So, uh, you guys are teaching that to your, um, what, what do you guys, do you call them clients or residents or what do you we, refer to them as? I'm we refer to them as clients. As clients. Okay. So the clients that are in the home, um, how, how does that education actually take place? Do you guys, do you bring specialists in and teach them kind of like in a classroom setting or like how do they actually learn these skills that you guys are teaching them? How does that happen? Our staff teaches, we create curriculums. So we do have a six month curriculum that has been uh, created to teach budgeting. You go through a chapter of that and they the client um, interacts with, with you and you do skills. Also, you know, just different community skills. So they even had, you can, you can step in, they even had like, um, uh, I mean, we even have a, a chapter on um, uh, how, how to wash your hands properly. Yeah, how to wash your hands properly. Yeah. You know, with the coronavirus going yes. around, we have a whole chapter on, just on that. So it's just basic life skills that we try to teach them so when they do transition out that they're safe, you know. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So my curious mind, I'm going to a place where I'm I'm thinking, okay, you're having this discussion, right, around starting a business and this comes up and you're like, yeah, let's let's discuss this, right? Let's dive into it. How... What is that process like to start something like that where you are, correct me if I'm wrong, where, where you are essentially depending on the government for the revenue of your business? Is that an accurate statement? Because your mm-hmm. your clients are, the funding that you get for them comes from the government, I assume. Correct. Pretty much, yes. Okay. So tell us, like, what what is that kind of like? And then actually setting up the business. I assume you have to get permits and all Licenses, kinds of licensing. Yes. Like, yeah, just yes. talk to us about that because I'm just curious. Well, I guess that's my arena because <laughs> I'm the application guru. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, basically, I'll tell you how we came to the point and then I'll tell you how. So basically, I had an assisted living. So that's how I started. We had a sister that was mentally ill. She's bipolar, schizophrenic. She basically jumped on a plane with her purse and her Bible in her manic because she had developed bladder cancer. So she flew out here, called us and said, pick me up. I'm at the airport. You're going to take care of me. Well, she's uh, she's 20 years my senior. Yeah. So I picked her up (laughs) (laughs) and uh, got her services, you know, because she was a vet and uh, took her to the VA, got her services, moved her into my assistant living. And 
she tell, she was always the type of person that was like, I'm going to pay my own way. So she asked me, how much does a room cost in your assisted living? And I told her and she said, oh, that's a lot. <laughs> Can I get a family discount? I told her, yeah. So she paid me uh, at a discounted rate. I took care of her, what me and Kay did, for the last three months of her life, and she passed away. So after she passed away, my first ever client, I can say her name, Mrs. Alice, I loved her. She passed away. I had her for three years in my home. Then someone else passed away. I said, this is not for me (laughs) (laughs) because I'm very sensitive. It was just too much. So me and Kay in a discussion, I knew I wanted to take care of people. Kay knew that that's the way she wanted to go. So we were like, let's do mental health. So then we start researching. As you know, that's Kay's hobby, (laughs) researching. And we found out, hey, we could provide this service, residential service, to mentally ill clients. And so that's what we start doing, transitioning over, getting the business ready. As far as the process with the state, Yes, you have to put in an application with the state. You have to get a fire inspection. You have to, you know, make your he- your house where it is uh, handicap accessible. Just small adjustments. Once you put in your initial application, the state will come and survey you. They will check out your home. They will check your policies. They will check your employee files, things like that. Once you pass... Then you move on and you have to apply for access, which is a a government, a state. It's the Medicaid. Medicaid Medicaid for Arizona. Mm -hmm. Once you do that and you get your access, then you start applying with the insurances. But the thing about it is with me and Kay, we had already before during this whole process marketed ourselves met with case managers, told them what our plan was, showed them what our plans were, you know, showed them our curriculum that we were going to develop, things like that. And so they were like really impressed. And I think that is what kind of pushed us over because we did the pre-marketing before we even, uh, it was a year before we even got a client. (laughs) We had a house. We had it fully furnished. Everything yes. was done. We were out driving around from Pine Top to to the Navajo Nation to the we <laughs> drove everywhere, yes. staying overnight, you know, just marketing ourselves, just talking to people and getting getting the word out yeah. before we had a, had ever received a client. Hmm. Very cool. What <laughs> what uh, I mean, that seems brilliant. What what? <laughs> Why did you do that? I mean, looking back, I'm sure, I mean, it sounds like a really smart business decision, but what what made you guys do that? Just, we had a drive and we always, I mean, our biggest thing was always, we were trying to change our family tree. Yeah. And we always say that when, even when we don't see eye to eye, we argue. <laughs> our whole main purpose, because if it's 14 children, just imagine how many grandkids and great-grands. Yeah. And so that was our biggest thing is that, hey, we got to change our family tree. So if we're going to yeah. do this, then, and I, and then too, we're believers. So yeah. I always, you know, I don't know if we can say this. On- <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Okay. Yeah. But uh, we listen to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we we didn't know. 
I mean, it's not like we had an over. I told you we grew up poor. We didn't have like a million dollars sitting up somewhere. We just, the Holy Spirit would tell us things to do. And we would, Kay would be like, I don't know why, but we need to talk to this person. And, mm-hmm. I, and then I would come to her and go, I prayed, Kay, and and this is the way the Lord is leading us. It just happened. It, started, it just started developing, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and my mom would call, I'm praying for y'all. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know mom's prayers. That's it, baby. They go direct to heaven, Fannie right? Mae. Yeah. Yeah. Fannie Mae prayers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So... Uh, I didn't plan on getting into this, but because you mentioned, you know, changing your family tree, like define for us what that means to you, right? Because that could mean something different to a lot of different people. Right. You guys came from a from a large family, first of all, didn't have a whole lot of money. I grew up with, with not very much money at all. Um, great, very loving parents, but not much money at all and, and didn't want to repeat that for myself and for my kids. So that's, you know, that's my story, mm-hmm. but I have a feeling your guys' story is probably even deeper than that. So if you want to get into that, I'd love to hear your, your perspective on that. When I say it, I do not want my children, I want my children to have choices. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to have to do anything. I don't want them, like when I was 15, I had to get a job at Burger King, my first job. Thank you, Burger King, because <laughs> I learned a lot of skills there. Yeah, I don't want my kids to have to, and that's that's my main thing. I want freedom, and I want choices, because we didn't have, you know, <laughs> we had to do <laughs> stuff. We had to do stuff, but I just feel like, when I, in my mind, say I want to change my family tree, I just want us all to have choices to where when we need something or or say if somebody wants to, you know, go to school, hey. We can pay for it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like I don't want my kids or people in my family to have to get loans and be burdened down. I want us to have freedom. Yeah. Right. So I, I just a quick comment. Um I have a ton of respect for what you're saying. However, on the flip side of that, yeah. right? You probably yeah. know where I'm going with this, yes. right? Spoil kids. How yeah. Do you know? <laughs> no. Yes. I mean, yes, of course, that that can certainly happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the drive mm-hmm. that you two ladies have yes. is definitely at least partially a result of your upbringing, right? Yes. So it's, there's that challenge of finding that middle ground mm-hmm. between wanting them to have, you know, the choices, but also empowering them yes. to have that entrepreneurial drive for some of them that, that may have it because you've got six yes. and you've got seven, seven. right? Yes. So, um, and I don't know what the age range is of your kids, but maybe <laughs> you can speak to how you've seen that kind of play out a little bit? That would be kind of neat. Well, my oldest is 30 and my youngest just turned 14. So I have a, a <laughs> wide range. Right, right. But my kids, like my 14-year-old, she's like, Mom, why are, why are you always talking about business? I said, because life is business. <laughs> <laughs> and so, business is life. Right? So everything they do, they get commissioned. 
We don't do allowances. You're going to work for this. If you want something, if you want school clothes, guess what? I'm not just going to buy you school clothes because I work for this money. So you're going to work for it. So it's things that I do with my kids. I have, and I have six grandkids too. (laughs) My oldest son, my 30-year-old and his wife have six kids. My grandkids call me and they say, Mimi, we did this, 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 and this. Can we have our commission now? (laughs) And they send me videos and pictures of what they've done. So I'm like, there's no free rise here. (laughs) (laughs) I got to start instituting that with Landon. He's he's been kind of riding my coattails, I think. (laughs) So um, I think mine's is about the same. My oldest is 33 and my youngest is 14. Uh, It seemed like I would get pregnant, she would get pregnant. She would get pregnant, I would get pregnant. (laughs) So it was like that closeness. But uh, my oldest, he's a registered nurse like I am. But I think because they seen the hustle in in the parents, they are like that. Because my son, not only the oldest, he's a registered nurse, he has his own real estate business. So he does that. All my children have a business. Even uh, the 14-year-old, well, I would I would say she's my assistant. She's been assisting mom through her surgery, <laughs> her recovery. So she gets paid for that. But uh, my um, my daughter that's above her, she works for um, Best Care. We have an event center, and she re- she uh, manages that. So everybody they work, they work. Yeah, yeah and it, and it does give them choices. Uh, I give you an example. Um, my oldest daughter worked at Taco Bell's. I always tell people this story, and it made me feel proud because I could tell the manager that a family member came in and was using foul language to her because they said the order got messed up. But then they got out of the car in the drive-thru, came in to the store, and was cursing her out. Manager didn't do anything. So I said, okay, as a mom, I'm going up there to say something. So just so happened that day, the general manager came in, and I told him, I said, my daughter do not have to work here. I said, we have several businesses. She could work for those businesses. She wants to do it on her own. She wants to work at Taco Bell so she can get that outside of the family business skills. And after I said that, I was like, hmm, because it's always something that has stuck with me. It was a person that said, you send your kids, you send your children to college. And then when they graduate, you send them out in out in the um, community to the wolves because they may not get a job. They may get paid less than what they should get should get paid. You know, things of that nature and that always stuck with me. And so yeah. I was really that that choices. Choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's yeah. a changing the family tree is choices. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's crucial, first of all. I mean, obviously we want we all want our chi- our children to have the best of the op- of opportunities, right? Oh, yeah. And I think that's the difference is a lot of parents, and, and I, would, I will tell you that I was guilty of this a little bit too, because I grew up without some of those choices, mm-hmm. right? I knew I wanted to change that. My parents wanted me to be able to change it, but they didn't have much ability to help me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I worked my way through college. It took me 10 years to get a four-year degree. Right. Because I worked my way through and wasn't going to get come out of college with with any (laughs) loans. Right. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want my kids to have to go through some of the things that I went through. Right. Being told that there wasn't enough money for Little League. If you want to play Little League, you got to go out and earn the money yourself. And, you know, those sorts of things. And and I went I overcorrected a little bit and I just 
paid for it. And my kids were always able to play, you know, travel league sports and, you know, all those sorts of things, the, the dance companies and, and whatnot. And my kids are great kids. They both got great grades in call in high school and both got scholarships in college. So awesome. we did some things that were, that were good, <laughs> but at the same time, there's some entitlement that I see in my kids that I really, really wish I didn't <laughs> see in my kids, right? And this commission thing, I think, is brilliant. I should have done it the way that you did because I think that the outcome would be a little bit better, you know, a little bit different today. Right. I tell and again, my... not a bad thing. My kids are great <laughs> right. kids, but I, I feel like I could have done better because I think I overcorrected so that they didn't have to feel the way that I felt as yeah. a teenager not having certain things. No, I get it. I get it. I I watched the episode uh, one time and a comedian said, you're broke. I'm rich. <laughs> that's what he told his kids. So that's what I, I mean. I don't tell them I'm rich, but I'll be like, you don't have any money. I do. <laughs> but now my kids are like, we do have money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's a delicate balance. Sorry, yes, go ahead. No, I, I think uh, so far we're only halfway into this conversation approximately. And I, <laughs> I think uh, everybody either listening live or, you know, listens to the recording is going to is gonna love this conversation. I don't know how you couldn't. <laughs> I can tell you, though, there's two people that are probably not going to like it. They're 15 months old twins of mine. They're going to listen to this and say, no, no, I don't like this commission thing you've been doing, Dad. Where did this come from? I'll be like, here, listen to this episode. <laughs> Very cool. I'm, I'm definitely um, going to uh, institute that. Uh, like I said, I've got uh, a boy-girl twins. They're 15 months oh old. So, oh, man. Yeah, we've got our, got our hands full with them. But uh, I love that uh, uh, commission approach. I've never, never <laughs> yes. heard that. Of course, everyone knows the allowance approach, but right. the commission approach, I love that. Um, all right. So you ladies are, I mean, I think it's fair to say serial entrepreneurs. You've started and sold businesses. You <laughs> own a business, uh, but you don't just own one business. You guys have a collection <laughs> of businesses. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. <laughs> okay, I'll let so, her start. <laughs> so, um, well, I mean, the behavioral health has been very good to us. Yes. And people see what we're doing and, you know, because we post and things like that. So we ended up, it forced us <laughs> to create a consulting business. Yes. So now we consult and we help other people set up their group homes, get their policies together, things like that. Then we couldn't find the caregivers that we needed. So it forced us to <laughs> start Best Care Academy. Yes. And we train caregivers, uh, not just for our business, but, you know, for anyone that wants to get their caregiver certification. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be doing CPR. We'll uh, maybe beginning of next year, we'll start doing like LPN classes. So... Um, our business is forcing us to start other businesses. <laughs> to have a nonprofit. Yeah, and then we have a nonprofit. Um, that's mostly, we we provide um, care packages for homeless. So we do that. And then we also do trainings through our nonprofit too, like um, educational training through, through the nonprofit. Yes. And then what else? We have the event center. Yeah, we have a <laughs> an, an event center. That actually falls kind of under the nonprofit, but we rent it out to 
you know, baby showers, things like that. Birthdays. And her daughter manages it. Yep. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. No, Very that. interesting. I love how they say forced. Like, like somebody put a we gun to their no head, choice. walked them down to the Secretary of State's office, made them sign the yes. LDL. <laughs> I, I, I was just going to say, I'm going to start using that with my wife because Landon and I are looking at some acquisitions right now and I'm going to have, uh, I was forced. He was forced. There you go. <laughs> you're welcome to use that. <laughs> it's not trademarked or at least you're going to give me permission. Not yet. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that you said earlier, and I and I obviously don't blame you because I think that it takes a special person to do end of life care, right? Yes. I mean, I think seeing death as often as you do in in that type of a of a home, I think would just be tough. It's, it it really does take a special person to do that. So, tell us a little bit more about why you felt so drawn. I'm I'm guessing it has something to do with your sister, but why you felt so drawn to the behavioral health and and really how you guys just said, you know what, this is where we're going to focus and let's let's take it from here. So from a clinical aspect, I see a lot of uh, family members that kind of shun because they don't know how to react to people that have mental health. So the mental health person may have one day cursed them out, maybe stole some money from them or something of that nature. Then they don't speak to the family members. So we do have, we do personally have several residents that have no family contact with their family. And so that was my biggest thing because I seen how we, you know, lobbied behind my older sister. You know, she was in the hospital. My mom was there um, or she stayed with one of the family members. But we always was trying to, even though she did things to us. I mean, I tell, oh, yeah. Yeah, I tell my mom at that, <laughs> my my uh, memory of her at 15, that's all I remember is that she had a mental illness. And that's what I knew her from. And then, but it's, it changed after she got older, she finally realized that she was not going to be able to function without this medication. And that's what we are trying to get our residents to realize, maybe at an earlier age, because it was, what, the last five or six years that she just, she took her medication like she was supposed to. Right. But what if she would have did that when she was 30? How how better of a life she would have had? I mean, she had a good life. She, she did. did. She, she had a good life. She was, very, she was so smart. <laughs> yes, she was. She, she was, was very smart. Uh, but I think about that. And so I think about that with my residents. If we could get them to realize that they have got to take this medication on a consistent basis. Because most people that have mental illness, they start feeling better. They stop taking the medication. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they take the medication and it makes them feel funny. Instead of them going back to the doctor and saying, hey, this medication makes me feel funny. Let's try something else. They just, they don't want to take it. And then they have a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And so that was my biggest thing. So that those people, so that the mental health, they would have somebody that has their back. And that's the thing with best care. They know when they come here to us, we're going to love them. We, we're not going to let you get away with a lot of stuff, but we're going to love you. <laughs> right. And and, and we, have, we have people that have graduated still come calls us and check in or follow us on our Facebook pages because they know that best care, we're going to love you. Yeah. 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 I think, I mean, it's, 
how do I put this? I, I think it's being talked about more than it ever has, yes, right? Yes. Mental health, which which is a good thing. I think we still have a long way to go. Yes. <laughs> um, there's still a lot of misunderstanding um, with that. And, you know, you mentioned your nonprofit does this probably because there's a high percentage of homeless who are suffering from mental illness. Yes. Um, and I've seen it in my own personal life. I have, I have a younger brother that's bipolar. He's struggled with it his whole life. It's it's gone back and forth with, you know, drug addiction and all kind not hold, not being able to hold down a job and you know all these sorts of things that come along with that. Mm-hmm. And it it's tough to watch. Yes. Um, I he and I have not ever had much of a relationship, mainly because there's a big age difference. Mm-hmm. And I was I was gone and out of the house and started my own family before he was ever even really, you know, a teenager or somebody that I could have a true relationship with because of a blended family and my parents, my stepdad and my mom having these kids together, right? So we're trying to work on that. But I, I tell you, it's it's tough to figure out how to have that relationship. He and I are both simultaneously working on it. Uh, He sent me a message maybe a month or so ago and said, you know, I know we've never really been close, but I want you to know I really appreciate what you've done for us, right? I helped him out with some things a little while ago and, and so it, you know, it's it's building these bridges, but it's mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing. It's not. it's not. And then on the medication front, there are other members of my family that don't have severe mental illnesses like that, but you know, anxiety, depression, whatever, and and talking to them about the importance of staying on those medications, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like we see if you miss one day, the difference. You yes. may not see it, but we see it, <laughs> yes. right? Right, and, and so you just have to be consistent with it and understand that that's how you function best yes. is to stay on those medications because the people in my life anyway sometimes want to use that as an excuse to not be able to achieve certain things in life. Mm-hmm. And my response is, but the medications that are working allow you to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve in life. And so stay on those medications, put in the work, learn the life skills that you ladies are teaching in your homes. If it's, you know, severe enough to be in one of your homes, but those medications and and the life skills have got to be things that are practiced day in and day out. Yes, Yes. definitely. Consistency is very important. And we, we preach that (laughs) in our homes. You have to be consistent, you know, as far as the clients and then the employees. And then we require yes. them to be consistent because any anything out of the way can can change the trajectory, you know, of your whole house. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, we we're dealing with uh, caregivers. Uh, my grandmother is ninety seven. Oh, still lives by herself. Yeah. <laughs> it still lives by herself. Still lives by oh herself. Yeah. She's um a, just a tad bit stubborn. She's just a, a tad. Pistol. <laughs> she she is definitely a pistol. Um and she's sharp as a tack. She does like three uh, crossword puzzles a day. That's oh, like yes. her secret, yeah, to yeah. her keeping to her mentally. yep, keeping mentally strong. Good. Um okay, so I've got a question. But let me give some backstory before I ask the question. Last year in October, uh, my wife and I purchased a residential investment property mm-hmm. just a couple miles down the road from us in, in Vegas. You know, we live in Vegas. 
And um, it was super competitive then, just like it is now. There was multiple different offers in there. We put an offer in. It it was not rejected, but overlooked because there was a you know maybe a better offer. And so we passed on it and we we moved on. Forty eight hours later, we got a phone call saying um, they're going to take your offer. Right? We said great. So we moved forward, closed on it, you know, 30 days later, really smooth. As we had made a couple trips physically, you know, made some trips over to the house, we noticed that there was some characters that kind of were hanging around the house. Mm -hmm. And uh, the house directly next to us, uh, it's going to be south. Um, The garage door was always open and we would see these people kind of coming and going. And it, it looked very suspicious. We, uh-huh. we uh, honestly, we thought it was drug activity because it was just really weird. And on the other side of us, on the North side of the house, uh-huh. there was activity of just people kind of coming and going frequently. And, but we didn't really know what was going on. And, um, we, we got our renter moved in there and had no issues until I got a phone call and it was from our tenant. And he said, were you aware that the house on the north side and the house on the south side mm-hmm. of us are both mental health behavioral homes? <laughs> and I said, I did not know that. <laughs> um, would I have bought that property if I had known that? Uh, honestly, I-, I highly doubt it because... I. I'm not knowledgeable what that actually means. So I would have naturally had right. some fear around it. I probably wouldn't have done it. And we didn't really have any issues um, until I got this phone call. And he said, uh, you know, one of the gentlemen in the home next door, he came to our house at three o'clock in the morning and he was pounding on our door. Oh and he's in the military. Uh-huh. So he's waiting on the other side of the door. Um with uh, yep, with a, a heavy object in his hand. <laughs> Luckily, he's a really even keeled, reasonable you know guy, and he mm-hmm. just sat there and watched. And eventually, the guy did just uh, leave the premises. He didn't call the cops because he did. He knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is how how do you interface with the surrounding the ge- geographically surrounding? community to these homes to mm-hmm. help educate them and understand what you're doing so that, I don't know, maybe it it, it helps for a better uh, cohesiveness or a better understanding, or maybe just talk to us about that for a minute, if you would. Well, honestly, our homes, you wouldn't even know. <laughs> Most people don't even know. They, they You wouldn't even know because that's, I would say that's how we move you're not going to know unless we tell you or it comes up in a meeting or something like that because most homes that we have we're we're not required to tell you and we're consistent so we you know they're doing groups they're in the backyard there there's no hanging out in front of our home you know so we have you know they may go on a group walk or something like that and you might be like whoa there's a lot of grown people living in that house and then you know put two and two together but just the way we run our homes yes um we do have one facility mm-hmm. in mayor 
that's probably the only home or residential, you know, facility that you may see people because it's like a campus. It's, it's about a building. three-fourths of an acre. It's, a, I guess, a little meeting area in the middle with, mm-hmm. with um, picnic tables. So that home, yes, you may see people outside, but our regular homes, you will not see people unless they're getting in a van to go on an outing. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. not going to see anybody else. <laughs> in front of the home or picking up trash in the front yard or something but <laughs> and another another thing too is there's so many different types of residential mm. living facilities yeah. so um I know one of my friends has assisted living next door to her people would think that that was a uh, like a mental health but it's not it's a transitional home so there's probably like 30 people in that house Mm-hmm. But it, but they thinking automatically because they familiar with group home. Oh, that must be a group home. It is a a certain type of group home, but it it's really not reimbursed by the state. The the people um, it's kind of like client, a boarding home. Yeah, the clients. Of, yeah. yeah, whatever the income they have, they pay rent to stay there, and um and so different things of that nature. So we. We really haven't. We really, haven't had any. I think that the Globe Project, but the Globe, we say Globe Project because believe me, it's a project. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we met with the com- you know talk with the community because they were saying that oh, is it going to be people running breaking into neighbor? our homes <laughs> and stuff like that? And it was like no. So we did actively you know reach out, had an open house, had the community come in. But yeah, we keep a. A pretty tight, <laughs> low profile. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe one, because uh, how we grew up, and then also my background in healthcare. So it's there's a lot of things that I've been that I didn't see that I'd be like, okay, I tell them, oh, this is not going to work, or this is going to work, and then sometimes it's just trial and error. <laughs> yeah. But most of the time, it, a little bit of that experience. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like the the guidelines that you guys have in place change, even if it is the same type of home that that, uh, Landon has on both sides of his property in Vegas, it sounds like you guys run yours better, (laughs) right? We stick to the guidelines. (laughs) We're best (laughs) care. That's one thing, because we don't like trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we, want, we want to do what's right. We want to, yeah. you know, and that's what I tell, that's what we tell our people that we consult with. Just do what's right. You know, yeah. and the money's going to come. You're going to do well, but just do what's right and keep yourself out of trouble. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. B-O-Y-B-B, be on your best behavior. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to ask what the shirts were. <laughs> we need to get good, Austin one of those shirts. Yeah. <laughs> that's in, a good pink, message for pink. everybody. <laughs> I can pull off pink. <laughs> you can. You can. Oh, I guess a little red today, but I do have some pink that I wear. So we only have about 10 minutes left, okay. but there are a couple of questions I want to make sure we ask, and you guys can choose who who answers which one, or, you know, you guys split up both or whatever. But one, I want to, you know, and you just kind of hit on it a little bit on, on one of them, but what sets you apart from other businesses in the same industry? Yeah. And then the second part to that is what does the future hold for you guys? Okay. So I would say what what sets us apart is we're best care. No, <laughs> no. we it's it's kind of like we told you about our sister. I just feel like we have a passion for the people. It's not about the money. We're in business to make money, yes, 
and we run it like a business, but the whole, it's all wrapped, you know, in a pretty package in a bow because we, we, we love the people, you know, because of our sister Hattie. So it's like, we, we honestly want to help the people because we, I mean, it took us a while to become profitable in doing this because like I said, we were traveling around, we were doing all this extra stuff that other people just don't do because we wanted to ultimately set ourselves apart from everybody else. And so there's things that we're doing, like the curriculum. They don't require us to come up with our own curriculum. We chose to invest to do this. Now, maybe one day, one of the insurance companies will pick it up. No, <laughs> uh, pitch. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's like, There's things that we do in our business, and it's not about the money. Mm -hmm. We really want the people to be successful. And I think with us consulting and seeing other people's homes and what they're doing, I really believe that's what sets us apart because it's really the money was a perk, you know? It was. Yeah. We just wanted to make a decent income and help people out. The money was a perk. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a misunderstanding by a lot of people. And, and I think I believe this to a certain extent, too, that, you know, you get set up and then essentially somebody at the government, right, social social welfare or social, um, you know, the social programs mm-hmm. are just referring people to you guys nonstop. But that that's not the case. I mean, you guys are, are out there beating the streets and, and they, yeah. getting your name out there. They specifically reach out to us, a lot of the case managers, even the residents. Because some people, they'll stay for six months. They may leave for two years, and then they have a they have a break or a year. And um, they will specifically, hey, I want to go back to best care. They'll ask for us. And mm-hmm. so, yes, we are beating the streets, marketing ourselves. Showing building the, relationships. B- building relationships. Yeah, that's we, really important. We're big about that. She always say, we got to build relationships. And so. we're very reciprocal. <laughs> we... We try to do things for people, you know, not in essence to to receive something back. But if you do something for us, you're going to receive something back. So that's how kind of how we deal with people. Um, Not always just like, give me, give me, give me. But it's like, let's build a relationship where we can help each other, add some value to each other. And you know, we've seen that as growing up. My dad was always like that. He always. was always in my in my mom in my mom too, but they were always but more my dad helping. No, <laughs> mama better not be listening. <laughs> mom had to keep dad straight though. <laughs> yeah, but but we 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 seen that, and you know that's part of the Bible. You know, if you my dad always would say if you go around with your hand closed, nothing can get in there, and nothing can come out. But if you go around with your hand open, things can they'll come flow. In. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and, and we have to believe that because the family that we had, I was thinking to myself, the money that I make now, and I seen what my dad was making on his last wow. job before he, he, I said, I I made more graduating from nursing school in the first years than my dad, and he was taking care. In that time, it was nine of us in the house. Yeah, and I said, they were making like twelve dollars a day when they, they moved to Kansas City. They were making like twelve dollars a day. Like, literally. How can you feed a family? And it's like we were always, we would be like, why are we feeding these people? 
it's enough of us. Because my family <laughs> would, my mom would cook. She'd get up and make homemade biscuits every morning, homemade syrup. She'd feed the kids in the neighborhood. And we're like, excuse me, we're poor. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and she's nope. She always, they always gave. So that's how we grew up. So it's like, that's just what we do. That's what we do. That that kind of flows over the globe. Our you said what's happening in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we bought a city block in Globe, Arizona, and we are in the process of setting up a fifty-six bed facility because we want to take it to another level. <laughs> and yeah. then uh ultimately we want to have a crisis unit. We want to have a um was it uh, elderly, like a, a assisted living? Assistant living they will be on there because they said they need assistant livings in that area. So we just want to take the block and turn it into something that's going to be great for the community in Globe. Yes, you know. So that I feel like that is a big focus of our future. Yeah. So, just clarify. You, you bought a city block? It's a whole block. Oh. <laughs> okay, I just want to make These sure. These ladies and, go big. Yeah. And, uh, apparently. And uh, and we don't, and that's what people are like, because we paid cash for it. We didn't know any better. And people were like, why did y'all do that? You know, people that are more educated in business. No, you never. Well, we didn't know. We had cash and we paid for it. You know? Don't use your own money. Don't use your, you know. So the thing is, in business, We've never been a our our mom had a eighth grade education. Our dad had a sixth grade education. So you know, their focus was graduate from high school. That was their thing, you know. And so we were a lot around a lot of business people. So we're learning as we go, <laughs> you know. So everything we do isn't going to be perfect or right, right. but. I mean, at least we know we don't owe our mortgage on it. <laughs> Nobody can take it from us. Yeah. Austin, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like they might possibly benefit from some financial planners that specialize specifically in working with successful private business owners. I don't know. I, I have a feeling that Kay has done some research. <laughs> Because they did ask us if we were fiduciaries. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Well, ladies, uh, as I posted, uh, one of you two liked it. As I posted on LinkedIn yesterday, having a conversation with you guys the first time we talked, within 60 to 90 seconds, you know, I just like, these ladies are incredible. You're coming on the show no matter what. So thank you. Um, thank you guys so much for coming on. Uh, this has been, this has been just, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, for anybody that wants to get in touch with you, to get to know you, to buy you coffee, <laughs> to hire you to do consulting work or what, whatever the case may be, uh, what, what's the best way for people to track you, track y'all down? Well, you can visit our website, bestcarehomes.com. Um, that's that's the easiest way. Or you can call our office, Patricia, <laughs> Patricia, our faithful office manager. Yeah. She's always, always available. And we'll always answer the phone. Right. <laughs> um, that's a uh, 602-675-1686. Yes. Or you can email us at support at be like best 
C, care, B, behavioral, H, health, AZ.org. So BCBHAZ.org. And you're obviously on LinkedIn. Yes, I'm on LinkedIn as Myrie Hayes. I don't know. Are you on LinkedIn, Kay? I'm somewhere on LinkedIn yeah. and a lot of them. She's the computer. I'm kind of the face. So you can, you can follow me on Facebook at Myrie Hayes, LinkedIn at Myrie Hayes, Instagram. I am my reasons why. <laughs> because... I show my reasons why I do this on Instagram. So <laughs> very cool. And that's all the ways to get a hold of us. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah, no, we we've really appreciated the conversation. We I think we could sit here for hours and talk to you ladies <laughs> about where you came from and, and what uh, you've been able to build. I know for sure six to 12 months from now, we're going to want to get an update on globe and how things are going there and, yes. and what, you know, what's going on for you guys. But you know, we, we've really appreciated the conversation. We know that people are listening that are going to appreciate the the advice that you guys have given and hearing your story and allowing that to inspire them to go out and build their own story. And, and for that, we, we thank you. Great. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> thank you for inviting us. You're welcome. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.